Good morning, everybody. Good morning. morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Here is just a little mini Christian family that we are. I'm thankful for what God has given us and the wisdom that he's bringing us every week and just all that he's doing in each one of our lives. So um, praise him, everybody. Praise him. We are going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. But before we read our scripture... Let's pray and open up our service and uh, let's hear what the Lord has to say to us. Lord Jesus, here we are, Lord, as we always are, right before you always. We can never hide. Lord, if we were to go to the bottom of the ocean, to the farthest place in space that we could go to, to the farthest remote place, Lord, in the desert, wherever we could go, we could not escape you. You're everywhere. Lord, you are everywhere, and in everything, Lord, you are everywhere. You you made, masterfully made, everything that we see and everything that we didn't see. So, Lord, I just pray that you would bless this message today. Bless our hearts, and Lord, may our sitting here and being here before you, Lord, bless you too, Lord, as you continue to see our obedience to come and, and listen to you and hear your word and get fed and get built up and then go out and do. Lord, I praise you and I thank you, Lord. I pray you keep Satan out of this place and keep Satan out of the places where the people that will be listening online are, Lord. And I pray you keep the distractions away as we listen to you and as I speak for you, Lord. I pray no distractions. Nevertheless, Lord, let us charge through like soldiers, continuing to fight the good fight of faith, God. Continuing to trust in you and believe in you and hold on to you. We love you and we praise you. ask that you bless this message and bless this time together. <coughs> Please, Holy Spirit, bring revelation. Bring powerful revelation to all of us. And we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said already, Matthew chapter 8. <coughs> We're continuing on in verse 5. We're going to be in verse 5 through 13. My New King James Bible titles this section, Jesus Heals a Centurion's Servant. My title to this message is The Centurion. The title, The Centurion. So let's read the section and then we'll break it down. Chapter 8, verse 5, Matthew. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, heard what the man said, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have found no such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way. As you have believed, so it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. So, what do we see first of all? Jesus is still, remember, coming down off the mountain. He runs into the leper first, and he just gets done with the leper, and he's moving. Jesus is always moving. All throughout his whole ministry, he moved. One place to another place to another place to another place. He was always moving. He was always making rounds and going here and going to Jerusalem and going to Capernaum and going to this place and that place, going into this person's home and teaching in that person's home. Taught several Sermon on the Mounts. We just got one of them here. Always moving around, moving and shaking. Jesus was a very busy guy. So here... He probably had some time. He didn't have all 12 disciples at this point. He really just was kind of had a few, as we'll see, because we read that he meets some later on. So he's going along, and what happens to him again? Yet he's in the line of fire again. Remember, we always have to keep in our mind that Jesus was always, many times, unless he went up on the mountain to pray alone, he was surrounded by a multitude of people. So we have no reason to believe that as he, in verse 8, or chapter eight, or chapter seven, uh, or chapter eight, the very first where he says great multitudes followed him in eight one. That those multitudes would have left them now. So he was with a multitude of people. So keep that in mind because you know remember you always have to think it it be, might be easy to do something if you were all alone, but then when you've got a multitude of people thronging you, it's a little harder to work, a little harder to you know get your air. So you know remember Jesus had a multitude of people always around him. He's walking from town to town. He got tired like any one of us. Here he's going into Capernaum. He's in the line of fire again. And what does he do? No. He backs down from God and he does nothing. Absolutely not. He steps up to the plate and he takes the divine appointment that God has for him and he talks with this centurion. This time, unlike the last time, how the leper came to him, the centurion, what does he do? He comes to him with a terrible or in a terrible situation. My servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. But did this centurion really come to him? You say, well, why would I say that? Because this section of scripture, this, this chapter 8, verse 5 through 13, has a couple different it's unfortunate, but it is a couple different, you know, where people believe that it's uh, there's some controversy here. Uh, we'll get to the second one a little later, but right here I have to bring it out just because uh, I believe, I'm going to share what I believe about it, but if we go over to Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, many call this section of Scripture and that section of Scripture a controversy uh, because there's it's two similar situations. There's two centurions and there's two servants, and there's a whole other people. So what we're going to do is we're going to read it. And we already read this one, but we're going to read uh, Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. And we're going to look at the similarities and the differences. So if you guys want to go to Luke chapter 7, verse 1 through 10, I'm going to read that too. And uh, as I read it, I'm going to point out the differences and so on and so forth. And then you can make your own decision. I personally believe that there are two different situations Many people believe that this is the same situation and the Bible has flaws and differences because in both of these situations there's different circumstances that happen. So Luke chapter 7, we read, 
Now, when he concluded all these sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. That's the first note that we read, which is a difference. The similarities here are, now when he had concluded these sayings, Jesus had just had gotten done with another Sermon on the Mount. That was another one where he just got done with a whole teaching. If you read verse 6, or chapter 6 in Luke, it's all another, you know, where Jesus, but it's a very short one. He doesn't, they're not very in-depth like Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount Matthew. It's very short. So here he just got done with another Sermon on the Mount, but this time he's going into Capernaum. He went into Capernaum. We have those two like things. We have a huge difference. Uh, the And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. We go back over to 8 and we read that this centurion servant was lying at home. He was paralyzed. I looked up the word paralyzed and it means like crimped and like curled up and like he couldn't move. And then he was dreadfully tormented. And those, those statements mean that he was very sick and he was very ill and he was like being tortured with his pain. Not he was ready to die. Verse 3, so when he had heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. That's another huge difference. In Matthew 8, we have the centurion coming himself, versus in Luke chapter 7, we have the centurion sending people for him. So and when they had come to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. So speaking of the centurion was a very deserving man. Verse 5, For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and he was already not far from the house. So in this one, Jesus, in this instance, in this other account of another centurion, I believe, Jesus actually went with him and then wasn't very far from the house. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus didn't even get to leave the spot where he was. He actually, the, the centurion stopped him before he ever started to leave. And then Jesus, seeing his faith, marveled and then spoke to the multitudes of the people that were around him. Here, Jesus went with him and it says he wasn't very far from the house. And then Jesus went with him and he was not very far from the house. The centurion sent friends to him saying, here another one, he sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you, you should enter my house. Here, the likeness would be that, of course, the centurion did say these things, but he sent he said them and then sent his sayings through another person. In our account in Matthew, it's a completely different centurion. The centurion comes himself, pleading on behalf of his centurion for his centurion. And he says in verse 7, Therefore I do not even, through the messengers, therefore I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man placed under authority, having soldiers unto me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. So the centurions in essence said the same thing. So what does Jesus reply to, the same, to this other centurion? Verse 9, And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, remember what I was talking to all the crowds always were following Jesus, crowds still following Jesus, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, in, uh, not even in Israel, and those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well, who had been sick. So there's no in the same hour, and there's no Jesus even saying, you are healed. 
So although these scriptures have some similarities, I believe, now if you have any, if you may think, well, you know, I may think that they may be right. If you are, if you, ha if you do think that, I've heard pastors teach on this as if they were the same. And they say, would say something like, the centurion being a powerful man wouldn't go to talk to Jesus, which could be true. They would say things like, and they have said things like, uh, the centurion, as he gave orders to somebody else that came for him on his behalf, that's how Matthew could have seen, you know, this as, well, that was like the centurion coming. And yes, those things could be true, but although we have some similarities in this section, we have more differences than we have similarities. And just think about it like this. Jesus always traveling. Isn't that what I said? We'll see that as we continue to go through the scriptures. Do you really think that Jesus only went to Capernaum once? In his whole three and a half years, you think he only went to Capernaum one time? He, he witnessed and evangelized and shared the gospel and shared the message for three and a half years. Do you think he only taught one sermon that was on a mountain or one sermon that was a bunch the whole month a bunch a bunch of people of course not he taught many this was just another instance where Jesus was teaching and then he comes down and then he meets an experience and has you know work to do for God so anyway I don't believe it's a controversy I believe that it was just another instance so we're gonna move on so a little bit about centurions. Back to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to learn a little bit about centurions this morning. What was a centurion? According to the website RomanColosseum.info, the Roman centurion was equivalent to a captain in the Roman army. The Roman centurion was often of the humblest origin. He had been promoted from the ranks simply on account of bravery and military efficiency. At the drill, on the march, in the battle... And there were at the same time, they were at the same time the role models and the leaders of the soldiers. The Roman centurion was a skilled professional who could be relied on to run a legion on campaign and in battle. Each, each centuria or century had a centurion. Roman centurion commanded a hundred soldiers. So a centura was a hundred soldiers. It was a camp of around a hundred soldiers. A centurion was the leader of at least a hundred, around a hundred men. A little bit about centurion. So what did this centurion do, and how did he do it? Look here. Jesus had entered Capernaum. A centurion came to him. So this centurion came to Jesus. What did he do next? He pleaded with him. Verse 5. Verse 6, saying, So he approached Jesus and also said, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. So one thing he did, he comes to Jesus. Next thing he does, he speaks to Jesus and he tells Jesus about his problem. So he, a powerful man, ruling in the ruling Roman Empire of his day. He would have been, the Romans were above the Jews as far as leadership went. The Rome, Rome ruled Jerusalem at the time that Jesus lived. So this powerful Roman centurion comes to Jesus, and he's a, he's a powerful guy, and he comes, you know, as the ruling power, he comes to Jesus, a nobody in the fleshly aspect, and the son, 
of a poor to mid-class carpenter. And calls him, look at verse 6, saying, Lord. Or the Young's literal says, Sir. But the Greek translation in your concordance would say, Kiros, which is Lord. Which is, again, owner, ruler, master. So, wait a minute. I, I don't understand here. This, this powerful guy of a centurion comes to Jesus, a lowly car son of a carpenter, and calls him Lord, someone to whom he belongs. All I can say is, wow, this guy was something. He didn't have any, he didn't have to do this at all. In fact, Jesus was, in the, Roman, in the eyes of Rome, beneath him. No Roman would call a Jew Lord. This guy himself wasn't even Jewish. Centurions were primarily Romans or been inducted into Rome. They were Roman people, Roman citizens. Not a Jew. He was above, not beneath Jesus. But you could see this one thing. He had a lot of guts. He had a lot of guts. Sharp contrast there, isn't it? Sharp contrast. So what was his request? The healing of his servant who was in a terrible physical condition. We've already talked about that. Paralyzed, dreadfully tormented, and he comes to Jesus for his poor servant, his poor, sick, dreadfully tormented servant. The poor guy had it bad. I mean, this servant, I mean, think about it. Paralyzed, crippled, dreadfully tormented, in pain every day, I can understand. But now, we have to look at this next thing. Why would he come? Why would he come? Powerful Roman centurion having a hundred men at, to go to battle. This servant wasn't a battler. He just served him in his house. Servants were worth really nothing. They could have just gone and bought another one. We don't get to know if the servant was a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter according to the scriptures. We just know that he's a servant of the centurion. So why would a powerful guy come to a lowly carpenter, lowly son of a carpenter, excuse me, for a common nothing slave? Why? Well, guess what? The Bible doesn't tell us. We don't get to know why he comes. We just know that he had a love for this guy. He was a, seems like he was a very caring guy. The end. Is that good enough for you? It's good enough for me that we don't get to know. But unfortunately, it's not good enough for some people. Because today, if you were to Google Matthew chapter 8, you would find a shocking thing to your eyes. The title of your Google search would title this. Jesus affirms a gay couple. Shocking, isn't it? There's this homosexual movement that's moving throughout America and they are trying to have homosexual marriages. They're trying to get marriage legalized between homosexuals, so on and so forth. But that's not enough for them. They have to take the Bible and make the Bible say it's okay 
for homosexuals to get married. See, they claim, and if you really research it, you go in there and click on their website. It's called Homosexuality or something 101. They claim that there's no way that a powerful Roman centurion would come to Jesus for a healing for this servant, for a nothing servant, unless there was a little more going on between the centurion and the servant than what, of course, the scriptures say. So, I'm here to say, and I know this is very controversial, especially in the day and age in which we live in, but God says no to homosexuality. But God also says no to adultery. God also says no to being a thief. God also says no to all sexual immorality. God says, don't lie. So yet, people today, where the Bible is silent, sickeningly, wicked and evil, twisted people today, where the Bible is silent, they have to fill in and make, of course, what? They make a belief that, of course, is always what? Self-fleshly fulfilling. The homosexuals are making this section of Scripture out to mean that homosexuality is okay because the way Jesus affirmed it was, he didn't tell this centurion, get away from me, you homosexual. homosexual. I won't come and heal your servant because I don't agree with the way you live. But they say because Jesus came to speak and came to heal this centurion servant, or was going to, or that he did, that he affirmed that this guy being homosexual was okay. And as I said earlier, we love here, I love, all true Christians love everybody. God loves everybody. But folks, he hates your sin. And the Bible says that the practice of any sin, whether it be homosexuality, because the Bible says that homosexuality is wrong, or lying, or, homos or, or fornication, or any kind of sexual immorality, or cheating people, or loving money, all these things are sin, and that the practice of any one of these things not just the practice of homosexuality, is a sin, and that sin leads to death. If you don't like it, take it up with God. But the Bible says you cannot live in sin willfully, treasure it, practice it, do it all you want, and still be okay with God. That is not the message of the Bible that we've had for almost 2,000 years. The Bible says no. So, terrible, 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 terrible. Many, in fact, false beliefs have crept in to churches even and in the world about the Bible where the Bible just doesn't speak on an issue. And you know what it is? Sadly enough, God just didn't think it was even important to say that he was or that he wasn't. We, why do we have to read into the scripture more than that's here? Only, of course, if we want to fulfill and promote some kind of evil thing that we are trying to do, then we got to push it off on the Bible and say, oh, the Bible says it's okay. See, see, and then we can twist this and we can twist that. But it's not okay, folks. It's not okay. 
God doesn't discriminate. The practice of all sin leads to death and hell. And homosexuality is wrong according to God, God's word, but it's all sin is wrong in God's eyes. So we don't just pick out one. Anyway, that's why the Bible says in 2 Peter 3 9, God is not slack concerning his promises, but desires that all men come to repentance. All men come to repentance because God desires none to perish. And what is repentance? Repentance is what God wants us. He wants us to turn away from the ways in which we actively sin before him. The act, the things that the Bible says no to, God says repent. Don't keep living on in any kind of whatever sin that you're in. Look at my word, look at what sin, and then stop. Doesn't mean that we're not going to sin. Doesn't mean that we're never going to sin. It means that God says we're not supposed to practice that sin. And that's the message of the Bible. So, anyway, moving on to Scripture and to holiness. We can just simply say that the centurion loved his servants. He was a nice guy. I mean, could you, in actual morality, not all Romans, and I know Rome was a pretty reprobate place, but not all Romans were just these evil, wicked, deceitful, evil people. I mean, they had people that loved too, just like in America. America is full of bad people, but so is Iraq and Iran and Portugal and Spain and Russia and full of bad people. But there's people that love too. So this centurion was just a loving guy who had a heart for his servant. We can leave it at that. and We don't have to add anything in that promotes something that we really want to do, that we really gotta want to make the Bible say okay to. The end. Look at verse 7. Jesus comes to the or centurion comes to Jesus and asks for a miracle for his servant. What is Jesus' response in verse 7? Read it. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal. Remember what we read last week. Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is too hard for God. Jesus doesn't even blink. He doesn't even bat an eye. I will. He declares powerfully, I will come and heal your servant. He doesn't go, well, uh, maybe, uh, or well, uh, next week I might have time. Notice, Jesus always had time for people that were in desperate need. And he says, I will. Praise God. But Jesus, unfortunately, never made it to the servant. In our account here in, chap in uh, chapter 8, this section here, scripture here, 5 through 13, he never actually even made it to the servant. Why didn't he make it to the servant? Because of the centurion's response. Let's look at the centurion's response and break it down. Read verse 8 and 9 here in chapter 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. But only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. What do we see here? We see that humbleness that that website talked about. Centurions were humble people. Lord, I'm not even worthy for you to come under my roof. We need to examine the leper. 
We need to examine the centurion and we need to see how these people approached Jesus Christ. And that needs to be something that we practice. Why? Because not only did they have faith, but they were also always came to Jesus very humbly. Those that came pridefully, Jesus rebuked them and said, you know what? The physician didn't come. He only came to heal the sick. He didn't come to heal the well. Jesus was only interested if you really realized, am I a sinner? Do you realize you're humble? Do you realize you're just not there? Do you realize, or do you think that you're okay? Well, the centurion here, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Wow. Just think of that the next time you approach God. God, I'm not even worthy to come to you in prayer. But then his next statement, just his next statement, look at the faith of this man. But only speak a word and my servant will be healed. He didn't need Jesus to show up at his house. He didn't need Jesus to make the, who knows, 20-mile trek. Just speak a word. Jesus, I know if you say it, it's done. If you just speak it, it's done. It didn't take a long time, not several years, like with the leper. I know you can. When we come to God, I know you can, Lord. I know you can do this. Just speak a word, Lord. Just give me a touch, Lord. Just speak a word. And he says in verse 9, For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. What he's saying here is, Jesus, I know what it means to be, I have people under me too. If you just speak a word, since we're your servants, it'll be done. You don't have to make that long journey. You don't have to come under my roof. For one, I'm not even worthy. I'm just such a lowly man, even though he wasn't a lowly man. He had servants under him. And yet, although I'm not even worthy, just speak a word. That is awesome. So, what was Jesus' response in verse 10? When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. If you don't think that that's awesome, there's something wrong with you. Jesus marveled at this man's faith. And I only, I only accentuate that why. Don't you want to think of God when you're praying and you have that kind of faith that God can do it and you know without a shadow of a doubt in your heart 
It's a done deal if God just speaks a word. Just, Lord, please. Don't you want Jesus to say to you, I'm marveling at that person's faith. I don't know about you, but that's what I want him to think of me. I want him to marvel at my faith. Because guess what? Little benounced, only three times in four Gospels did Jesus say, I marvel. Or Jesus marvel. Only three times in four Gospels. Now, I hate to tell you this, folks, but that's not that many. That Jesus marvel, that's not that many. We have here, we have Mark 6, 6, where Jesus came to his own country. And sadly enough, they didn't believe that he was the Christ. They didn't believe that he was the Son of God. So it says that he marveled at their unbelief. And because they didn't even believe that he was who he said he was, they would say things like, Oh, isn't this Jesus the son of the carpenter? Whom Mary we know his mother and his mother and brothers and sisters, they all live right here among us. And the Bible says that he marveled because of their unbelief in who he was. So that, guess what? Because of their unbelief in who he said he was, he couldn't do many powerful works in that land. So he marveled here because of the man's belief, because of the man's trust in God. But he also marveled, sadly enough, because of people's unbelief. Sad. Then we have Luke 9, again, where the other centurion sent his people, and then Jesus spoke to the people that came when Jesus wasn't very far off, and he said, hey, I'm not worthy, don't come in. And Jesus marveled again of that centurion and said, wow, I can't believe it. These people have faith. What does God say about faith? In Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said to the people there, because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. See, the disciples couldn't heal a demon-possessed boy in this section. And the owner, the, the, the father of the boy comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus... Your disciples weren't able to heal my child. Would you please heal my child? And Jesus rebuked the demon, and the demon went away. And then he goes, turns around to all the people, including his disciples, and that's when he says this. Because of your unbelief, you couldn't do it. Because of your unbelief. So Jesus said here, even if you have the faith of a mustard seed, if you just speak to that mountain, speak to that problem in your life, it can go away. God is big on faith. Hebrews 11.6, God says, But without faith, think of this, think of without, this is without trust. Faith is trust. Trust in God for everything. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, number one, he's there, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I know you can. 
I trust you, Lord. I believe without a shadow of doubt in your heart that he's there and that he can help you with whatever you're going through. God can help us. Absolutely. That's the kind of faith that God wants. This man's faith, again, was so impressive that it says Jesus marveled. This faith stuff is pretty impressive to me, dude. <laughs> so let's look at verses 11 and 12. Sadly enough, we have faith, but then people have no faith. And in verses 11 and 12, sadly, Jesus says, And I say to you, after, of course, he said, I've not found, excuse me, let's start in verse 10. And Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who follow him, Surely I say to you, I have, found, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And verse 11, And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Who are the sons of the kingdom and why will they be cast out? They're the Jews. Jesus came to the Jews first. The Jews were supposed to inherit the promises of God. The Jews were supposed to accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah and bow down and worship Him and get saved themselves. They were the sons of the kingdom. They were the promised children of Israel that God saved back with Abraham and going into Egypt and saved them out of the hand of, Egypt, of the Egyptians and brought them through the Red Sea. They were the chosen nation of God. And yet, why were they cast out? Because of their unbelief. Not believing that Jesus Christ is who He said that He is. And unfortunately, many people have a many, many people might be shocked at this next statement I'm going to make. Did you know that everyone, everyone, everyone gets to go to heaven? Everyone gets to go to heaven. Because guess why? They get to go to heaven because that's where God is. But then when they're there, they stand in judgment. And as they stand there in judgment, in heaven, they get to see heaven. But unfortunately, the Bible says only for a moment. Only for a moment. Because when they're judged, God will judge them on who they were, what they did for His Son, what they did with those talents that God gave them. But unfortunately, many people will see God, see heaven, see the things of God, see the gloriousness, and then God will say, I'm sorry, I never knew you. Be gone from me, you worker of iniquity. Or you know what? You chose to have my talents and not live for me. Rip the talents out of his hand and send him out. For he didn't do anything with them. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed for man to die once, but after this, the judgment. After this, the judgment. And what is the unbelief? What does God say about the unbelief of His Son? There's only one condemnable sin in the whole Bible. Matthew 12.31, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. What is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? The denial of Jesus Christ 
as the Son of God. The denial of Jesus Christ. Believing that He is. Of course, that's step one. Believing that He is who God says that He is and accepting that. So many people will go to heaven, but few people will get to stay. The majority, as Jesus even said here about the Jews in verses 11 and 12, will be cast out. And where will they go? Will be cast out into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, what is the outcome of this centurion's faith in Christ? Read verse 13 with me. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way. As you have believed, so let it be done for you. And then we get to find out the back end of 13, and his servant was healed that same hour. Wow. Wow. That is awesome. His servant was healed the same hour. So God doesn't have to come. He doesn't have to make a long journey to your house to help you with whatever you're dealing with. If you just cry out to him, God, just speak a word. I know you can. So the big question of the day, ask yourself, wherever you are, whoever's listening, ask yourself right now, do I have the faith of demons or do I have the faith of this centurion or this leper? What? Why did I say that? Yes, do you have the faith of a demon? Or do you have the faith of the centurion or the leper? Am I really saved? James 2, 14 through 20. According to salvation, that is. For what does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith alone save him. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to him, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. James says, show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? What is James saying? Is James saying that we have to work to get saved? Absolutely not. He's saying that your faith in Christ, if you say, I have faith in Jesus Christ, should produce some kind of response in your life. Remember I asked you, do you have the faith of demons or do you have the faith of the centurion or the faith of the leper? Do you say, oh, I believe in God. Oh, I believe in Jesus Christ. But I hear, I'm here to tell you, folks, that if your life doesn't match up with what Jesus said how to live, then the Bible says that you're on the wide path 
and the broad road, and that many will go in by it, and that's hell. That's condemnation forever and ever and ever. If you have faith in God, you either have the faith of this centurion or this leper, or you have the faith of a demon. You either have the faith in God, you can save me. I know you can here. And then your faith better produce a work. And the work that God is looking for is the work of repentance. The work of not only trusting in Him for your everyday provision, trusting Him for everything that you need, every breath that you take, but also trusting in Him. But then that shouldn't be all, the Bible says, because faith without works is dead. Then your faith should produce a godly fear within you. Because if God can do that, well, boy, here, look at here, verse 13, or verse 12, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. They will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not only for their unbelief, but because of their unbelief, they didn't live for God either. Many people here in America say, oh, I have faith, I believe in Jesus Christ, and they're standing in front of the club. They're cheating people. They're lying. They're ripping people off. They're committing sexual immorality. They have no morals. They're, immor they're immoral. And yet they say, oh, I believe in Jesus. Oh, I, I believe in Jesus. I'm saved. Well, how do you live for the Lord? Well, you know, I... Go to church here and there. Kind of, you know, read the Bible once in a while. Folks, that's not a relationship and that's not what God wants at all. God only wants one thing. He wants you. He wants your faith first. And if you have the true faith, say, God, I really need you. And that faith should be producing works of repentance daily in your life. Works where you are turning away from the things that you know God hates and turning toward doing the things that God loves. Just like in a marriage. You don't purposely and willfully do something that your wife hates, or else, guess what? You won't be married for very long. Folks, wake up, please. Wake up, Americans. Not everybody who says to me, Jesus says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, in Matthew chapter 7, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. What is the will of the Father? To listen to the Son. And what did the Son say? Believe in me and follow me. So do you have the faith of demons? Or do you have the faith of a centurion? Or the faith of a leper? Examine yourself, please. And if you find it today, I, you know what? I believe. You know, I have faith. Yeah, praise God. Yeah, I believe. But you know what? I don't really live my life for Jesus. And you know what? My life, I, you know, I, yeah, I sin. You know, it doesn't bother me. You're in trouble. If you sin, if you do things that God says no to and you feel okay, you're in trouble. There's no conviction. God can't let you live in sin and still dwell in your house, folks. God won't do it. God won't do it. Please turn now and repent of your sins and surrender your life to Jesus. Do you have the faith of a demon? Or do you have the faith of the leper? Do you have the faith of the centurion? Christians, those that are gods, those of you who are listening, who belong to Christ, 
who not only believe in and trust in, but also live for to you. Ask yourself, do you come to Jesus Christ laying your petitions at his feet with this attitude? Absolutely knowing in your heart, putting every ounce of trust that's within you in him for what you're asking for, knowing that he absolutely, I don't care if you have cancer, I don't care if you've got one leg and you're missing the other leg and you want God to grow you another leg. Can God grow another leg on somebody that has one leg? Oh, I don't, maybe the hand of the Lord is short. Oh, Lord, don't smite me. Absolutely he can. He made the heavens and the earth. Can he do whatever it is that you're... Can he fix whatever it is that you're struggling with? Absolutely. Can he help you in anything that you're in need of help with? Absolutely. Do you come to him with the absolute laying it down? Lord, you can. I know you can. Every prayer you can handle. No problem. Knowing that all God has to do is just speak it. And giving it to him and laying it down at his feet. And then here's the big one. Trusting him with the result. Trusting him with whatever result that he gives you. Whatever result that he brings. The centurion here, the leper here, they didn't believe it. They didn't believe it was to them already that they had it. But what they did believe is they believed, I know you can. And I'm bringing it to you because you're all, you're the last, you're all I've got. Christians, is God all that you have? Is Jesus all that you have? He can do anything. No miracle is too small for Him. Please come to Him every time you pray and know that He's got it and trust Him with whatever the outcome is. But pray with the faith of the centurion and pray with the faith of the leper. God is awesome and he can do it and we have to trust him hallelujah amen. amen let's pray Lord I come before you now Lord knowing that you hear me knowing that you're right here in this room with us Lord knowing that you're standing next to or in whoever's listening to this message I know you're there with them too and I pray right now, Lord God, your Holy Spirit would convict those that aren't living for you and show them how good you are, Jesus. Show them how much you love them. Show them, Lord, how you stepped out of perfection and out of heaven and you left perfection, you left peace and you came here to this filthy, sinful disgusting planet full of sin fallen in the curse the pit of despair and you stepped into this place to save sinners Lord I pray that your Holy Spirit right now would stand and knock at each door of every heart that's listening to this message that's not yours 
that's not living for you, that's not surrendered unto you. And I pray, dear God, that they would break right now, knowing that they're on the wrong path because they're not surrendered unto you. And I pray, dear God, right now that they would fall on their knees and cry out to Jesus Christ and surrender unto you and wave the white flag and say, I give up, I need you. I need you. I believe in you already, but Lord, I, I need you. I don't want to just believe in you. I need you. I don't want to live without you anymore. I can't live without you leading me anymore. I need you. And then, Lord, your word is faith. You are faithful. You'll come into that person and you'll, you'll make of them a new creature. For if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new is come. Save that soul, Lord, of that person that's listening right now. Save that soul of that person that's crying out to you right now, Lord God. And Lord, I pray for all of us that are yours here right now, that are yours, that are listening. I pray, God, that we would pray with the faith of the centurion. I pray that we would pray with the faith of the leper and give it to you and surrender it to you and trust you with whatever result that you bring but knowing that you absolutely can fix me. Coming humbly, not holy, but coming humbly. God, I need you. Please help me in this situation. I know you can fix it. I know you can fix it. I put it in your hands. Lord, may we grow bolder in our faith in Christ every day. May we grow bolder every day to come before you and say, Lord, here are my petitions. Here are the things that I'm struggling with. Here is my alcoholism, Lord. Or here is my uh, pornography addiction. Or Lord, here is my addiction to this. Or my struggle with that. Or my, my, my illness here. Or my thing there. And Lord, give them to you every day. And know that you can fix them. Grow us stronger in you, Jesus, please, every day. Grow us stronger in you every day. May we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God every day. We love you. I love you, Lord, and praise you. And I just ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.